0: Hello, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and today my co-host Peter Glassford and I are interviewing Reese Wells, who was recommended to us by Dakota Gale, who was actually on one of our previous episodes. Dakota, in all of his traveling around the country searching for adventure, stumbled upon Reese while he was doing this crazy bike ride called Keys to Freeze, where he rode from Florida to Alaska. Uh, Which resulted in a lot of funny stories, a potential memoir, and a desire to go hiking instead of biking for his next big trip. uh, Which is actually going to be another crazy adventure through Patagonia that he's starting in November. Uh, So how does the 24-year-old handle all of it? Well, we talked to him and found out what his training looks like. Lots of yoga and lots of, you know, focus on injury prevention. In addition to tons of hiking and distance running, and of course biking, since he does still love riding, even if he's not planning on crossing the country again anytime soon. So give it a listen, and we hope you enjoy! So I absolutely have to start this podcast by reading the little introduction that Dakota made for Reese to me. So Reese, listen up. Reese is a great friend of mine. I met on the road last year while he was riding from Key West to the northern tip of Alaska. He's also a badass writer and runner, as flexible as Gumby thanks to daily yoga and one hilarious dude. Rumor has it that he can do one-armed push-ups while reading James Joyce and sipping mate. So that's one hell of an introduction. I think we're, we're all wondering, can you do one-armed push-ups while reading James Joyce?
1: Um, well, a part of me wants to say if the book is propped open, um, <laughs> then maybe but uh not <laughs> that that was a few years ago i've had a string of um shoulder and wrist injuries that have really uh decreased my upper body strength um, but i'm trying to get back into it um, and i'm not i'm not a huge james joyce fan i'm more of a stephen king you know stephenson guy um, nice because it made me sound like more of an intellectual than i actually am so I'm uh,
0: um, I'm with you. I was an English major, but if you actually look at the oh, books, cool. I'm if you look at the books that I'm reading right now, it's like yeah. hugely embarrassing the amount of like <laughs> cheesy fiction that I love reading. So right. lots lots of the Stephen King kind of stuff too.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with him. Um, he's he's my favorite author so for good. better or for worse. Yeah, <laughs> so, I think mostly for better. <laughs> awesome.
0: And then okay, sipping mate, mate versus coffee. Where where do you come down? Oh
1: no, no doubt coffee. Um, i I've kind of I just finished a job working at a coffee roaster in Durham, um, and that only heightened my uh, acute addiction to caffeine. Um, but I'm a big fan of single source light blends, um, and can't recommend counterculture coffee enough. So I was a production grunt bagging five pounds. And that's, uh, is that the, a, that's a North Carolina
2: roaster? Is that where they are?
1: Yeah, they're uh, a North Carolina roaster um, with a bunch of training centers across the country in bigger cities. And they just opened up a San Francisco roaster as well. Hmm. But 95% of their volume comes through Durham, North Carolina.
0: Okay, we've had their stuff, right? That yeah, sounds really it sounds really familiar. Yeah.
1: yeah um yeah they're they're really awesome maybe i don't know maybe my hands touch the bags that you guys have drunk out of could be
0: oh early bird espresso in french town serves it that's where we've had it yeah very cool Cool. that's That's like the best part about traveling around is getting to you know check out the different coffee in different places personally (laughs) no kidding
1: so i'm definitely more of a coffee person. dare I say snob, but i uh am going to be getting to enjoy a lot of mate this coming winter in Patagonia. so um I'm trying to transition to more mate drinking just because of the availability down there
0: yeah, absolutely and all right let's let's actually skip ahead since since we've kind of gotten into that topic um you were <laughs> you've talked about this hiking trip and Dakota alluded to it uh tell yeah. us about it
1: well uh, it's It's super exciting. Um, It's going to be over a thousand miles of hiking and pack rafting through uh, the Patagonian wilderness. It's along this trail called the Greater Patagonian Trail um, that's been in the process of being built by an explorer named Jan Dudek, who's um, been going down there uh, for about a month, a year with his partner for the last eight years and slowly building this trail from Santiago. And I think this year they got almost a Fitzroy. Um, So our group is a group of four people, myself, um, my partner, Tierney Hodge, uh, a friend from high school named Tyler Nation, and then a guy that I met last year on a bike trip named Michael Kleinman. Uh, We're all going down to do almost like a photo journal uh, experience where we're going to go and talk to people who live there, live in the hills, and do a compare and contrast. Um, study and series um, of this like untouched wilderness, and then go into national parks like Torres del Paine and Patagonia national parks, and see what that sort of protected wilderness is like, and just try to get people's stories who are living down there and get their opinions on this growing globalization um, and influx of tourists coming to the Patagonian areas. Uh, so that's that's some helpful. Um, but it's going to be super cool. I've never done a huge backpacking experience like this before. I'm more of a cycle touring guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. We're we're heading down in early November and look to be on the trail for about five months.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's a really, really long hike. But I guess, yeah, 1,000 miles, five months seems about right. Uh, do, you, yeah. do you think you're going to get along with these other three guys for five months straight? <laughs>
1: Um, well, I hope, I hope I can get along with Tierney. Uh, we've been together for over a year now. Um, but I guess that will be a pretty, pretty good test of our relationship. Uh, and then Tyler was on the cross country team with me and we've kind of kept up with each other, uh, since we both went off to different schools. And then Michael Kleiman, um, we met for about three hours. <laughs> last oh year, man. <laughs> in Zion National Park. Um, but we get, we vibe really well on Skype, and um, I like looking at his floating head on my, you know, computer screen. Nice. And I think that's a pretty good basis for a, uh, uh, a friendship. So, we'll <laughs> we'll do that. And we've, um, you know, I think that the key to any relationship is communication. So yeah, as long as we're able to all communicate openly and honestly with each other, um, I, I think that it'll all be good.
0: Yeah. So, with what you guys are doing, so you'll be sort of blazing behind the person that blazed the trail, so you're you're kind of checking yeah. it out, like seeing how it how it flows, how people like it,
1: right how the locals
0: are right. kind of taking to it
1: yeah um basically i not many people know about this trail uh to my knowledge, there haven't been a whole lot of folks going out there and doing the trail and documenting it and um... really getting into it for more of a um, documentary style experience mm-hmm. so um... really we've only talked with Jan about the trail and about trying to work with him to better document it and to, uh, um, make it a little bit more accessible for travelers to go down and also be aware of um... the the proper way to do uh, a trek like this in a way that is respectful to the people living there and that is environmentally conscious. Um, so that's that's kind of our, our work on the trail. And because it's very new and not a ton of people are doing it, there's a whole lot of <laughs> variability in the route that we can take and um, a lot of questions about how we're going to plan for it. and do it in a way that is safe, uh, for our group.
0: Yeah. So what, what first made you decide this is what I have to do for five months?
1: <laughs> um, well, so after, after Keys to Freeze, which was the 8,000 mile ride from Florida to Alaska, right. I came back to the East Coast in North Carolina and, um, experienced what can, <laughs> what i describe as a uh, a few months of cultural depression and during that that time I realized that I needed to have a another trip um, that I was passionate about and viewed almost as a uh, follow-up to the Keys to Freeze trip and didn't really want to get back on my bike for a couple of years so I decided that a hiking trip which is something that I've always wanted to do uh, for an extended period of time was the proper (laughs) adventure. And then, um, I wanted to do something that not many people have done, uh, before. So the, and then I've always wanted to go to Patagonia. So (laughs) this, everything just kind of lined up that way. And then once, um, I got in touch with Jan about the trail and talked with him some more about it, it just really, really gained a lot of momentum and is super exciting. Um, I get more and more excited about it. So has anyone done the trail
2: before, like, end-to-end?
1: I think a few people have. Uh, Jan has a Wiki Explorer page, which says that there's a few people who have done it. I'm not sure how many, but we won't be the first people to to do the majority of the trail. We're actually not starting at the trailhead uh, near Santiago because of uh, timing reasons. We want to do a lot of rafting, and so... um, to do that we need to be at like uh fifth of the way down the trail in november so that we can catch some snowmelt and get on the river
0: um, okay so yeah th- I'm, I'm just kind of gonna guess here you're the kind of person that always needs to have like a challenge or a goal that you're sort of striving for <laughs> or you just
1: don't know what to do uh <laughs> that's a pretty good guess yeah um, yeah i i um I don't yeah, it's it's nice to have goals. Um and I am really passionate about trying to to push myself physically and mentally and uh I think that's one of the reasons why I love endurance activities like cycle tours and um backpacking and running and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. So how how are you preparing for this hike? I mean, you've got to be doing <laughs> a whole lot to be getting ready for that.
1: Yeah, um, I'm. I'm very confident about uh, my physical uh, capabilities with this trip. I've been doing some backpacking trips and um, have a pretty good base of training for um, multi-week endurance activities and. What I'm most worried about, just because it's a new sport for me, is rafting. Um, but fortunately, the majority of rivers that we'll be on will be uh, pretty, pretty simple. It'll be a lot of floating and not too much having to navigate um, low class rapids. Nice. So, have you been in a boat? Yeah. Like, have you
2: been practicing rafting?
1: Well, uh, I went on my first rafting trip ever. <laughs> this past weekend. Oh man. And I fell in. Um <laughs> but <laughs> it's actually um it was right it was at the Nanahala Outdoor Center in North Carolina and it's a pretty commercial river, so they have like a photographer at the one class three section that lasts I don't know, maybe like fifteen years. And so this photographer has this awesome series of nine pictures of me going from looking really confident on my raft to being in the water and the raft flipped upside down um so that was really a wake-up call and that i I should get out on some some rivers and start training more seriously i've just been waiting on a raft to get in the mail um and once i get that, it's going to be a lot of time on the water so i'm excited about it
2: so so you're going to do a lot before you go or you mean once you're down there you're going to be on the water a lot
1: um, well, I hope that I can train as much as possible before going down there because once, once we get down there, we'll be on the water a good bit. Um, but I think that my whole team kind of shares my thoughts that, um, we'll only raft when it's pretty calm water. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> because I don't think any of us have a lot of experience. So um, is, is the trail,
2: the trails on water at portions then, or how is that? Yes. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a combination of hiking and pack rafting. Uh, to my knowledge, you can do the whole thing through hiking, but I think that rafting allows you to really get out uh, deep into sure. some wilderness areas, which is what we want to do. So yeah, we'll be doing as much rafting as possible, I think.
0: That's awesome. So speaking of rafting yeah. then, I mean, if you've had a shoulder injury in the past and, you know, hurt that in your wrists, are you working on rehabbing them for the trip?
1: Um, I've, Broke, uh, I fractured my wrist um, just under two years ago and then broke my collarbone about a year and a half ago, and both of those uh, are basically healed at this point, and so I do a lot of core exercises and calisthenics and then a, a bunch of yoga, um, and I think that's really sped along my recovery, so I don't feel any residual pain or loss of flexibility because of those injuries, which I'm really grateful for.
0: Yeah, for sure. So what does a typical week of training look like for you then?
1: <laughs> uh, it, it really depends uh, on the week. You know, I, um, I think that if I don't have a trip lined up, um, it'll be about 30 to 40 miles of running, um, four hours of yoga, three hours of core and calisthenics, and then maybe about 100 miles of bike riding.
0: Okay, so you haven't totally given up the bike riding, despite... Uh... No, I,
1: I, <laughs> I love it. I, I try to commute by bike, and so I spend a fair amount of my day riding around town. That was one of the reasons I missed, missed your call, and it took me a while to get back to to the house to call, because I was out in the middle of downtown um, trying to bike home.
0: Nice. Yeah, we're we're pretty yeah. big on the walking around town or riding and everywhere that makes sense to yeah. ride or walk. So much better than driving. Totally.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not a huge fan. I'm, um I think it's it's going to be time to let like go of the old Corolla and come back after Patagonia with just the bike. I'm pretty excited about it.
0: That's awesome. Uh so talk yeah. to us. We haven't actually talked to anyone yet on the podcast that's like really into yoga, right?
1: Uh, like
2: Ryan
0: once Oh, Ryan, right, of course. But how did you uh, get Ryan into yoga? Me. Was it more like as an injury prevention thing, or did you just fall in love with it?
1: Well, uh, so it's, I've been doing yoga since I was 16. Uh, right now I'm 24. My birthday is in a month. Um, and I hated yoga for the first six months. <laughs> uh, I did it. My mom uh, made me and my dad and my sister go with her as a family to be like a weekly family activity. Um, Because I was, you know, in my angsty stage and my sister was in her angsty stage. And uh, it was a nice way to spend an hour without, you know, talking to each other and Mm -hmm. really bond over yoga. So the first six months uh, were super hard and I didn't like it. And then all of a sudden just something clicked and I fell in love with it. Um, And I just saw huge, huge improvements with my running because of it and I wasn't getting injured as much. Um, so when I was in college and looking for <laughs> any excuse uh, I could find to not you know, focus on classes, mm-hmm. I started, um, uh, I did a yoga teacher training and learned a whole lot more about how to teach yoga and how to improve my personal practice without uh, going to the studio and have really taken that with me since graduating from school and I uh, still do it as often as I can. Um, do so you I, do, I just do any it.
2: teaching?
1: Mental and stress uh, reliever for me. Um, and it makes me feel really good too.
0: Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like Peter was just saying, uh, do you teach at all? Or is it just kind of you want to do teacher training just to improve your own practice? Uh,
1: I teach my friends, but it's hard with, my lifestyle right now for not really Mm
0: -hmm.
1: for establishing myself in a studio just because a lot of studios want their teachers to be around for at least a year yeah uh, I haven't haven't given myself that opportunity since leaving school Um, but I really hope that you know in a year or two if I decide I need to be in a place for a year that I'll be able to get involved with the studio and pick up teaching again
0: yeah it's I mean it's pretty rare to see male yoga teachers, so I imagine there's at least some demand for it. The couple I've worked with have been amazing so
1: yeah it's it's a really cool experience being um, in the front of the class and directing students. I really enjoy it uh, when I was in school, I had a good community who let me teach you know ten or fifteen people for free every week um, and that was that was really awesome being on the other side of the mat
2: do you some somewhat related I mean you mentioned cultural depression earlier, do you find that between <laughs> these bigger things like you almost need to go and like you know put down i don't know if put down roots but like you know sort of chill and you know sort of like you say like just really get into more of a routine type thing or what do you think do you think that's necessary
1: uh I think a lot of it is um well financially yes uh it's it's really good to so, be able to be in one place for six months and to try to save up um, right, for the next trip or pay back, whatever, um, you know, <laughs> I yeah, need, for sure. whatever debts I, I came into from, uh, from a trip. And uh, so from that sense, it's pretty necessary for me. And I also really, you know, enjoy being around my family and um, want to spend as much time with them when I'm not on the road. Uh, so coming back to North Carolina, um, has been kind of my M.O. in between trips. And I think at times it can be hard to be back in, um, in a hometown just because uh, I feel like I've changed a lot and maybe don't identify as much um, with, with my hometown as I used to. But it's really good to, to see family. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen after Patagonia. If so I'll be back in North Carolina, uh, uh, I might try to move somewhere else.
2: Sweet. So, with you've done a lot of bike touring, and that's definitely something that's becoming more popular. And you know, I'm coming from a very competitive cycling background, but you know, I've always said someday I'm just going to go and I'm going to coast whenever I want. I'm going to stop for lunch. Yeah. You know, have my cool sunglasses on my collared shirt or whatever, and just cruise around and you know, (laughs) see see the land, right? Like stop it rather than racing by all the time.
0: I do not approve of this plan.
2: Yeah. Um, so when you look at that, yeah. like, what would it cost? Like, you went a, a long way, like that's big from Florida to Alaska, obviously. But like, right. what, what, like, what do you do? You know, like a daily cost, or like, what, would, if you were going to go coast to coast, like Florida to Cali? Right. Like, what, what, yeah. what would be involved? Like, can you estimate, like, if you took a month or two, like, what that would cost per day, or like,
1: sure, yeah, totally. Um, so are we are we talking like you've already got all your gear and you don't need. To invest. Yeah, in, I mean, say you gear so you got under. a bike,
2: but maybe you need to get some bags and stuff. But yeah, more like you know you're pretty set up with your your panniers and stuff. And I assume you would be camping like the way you do it. You're camping on you know wherever you can find a spot to pitch a tent. and stuff Right. Okay.
1: Sure. Um, so the way that we we did Keys to Freeze uh, and the way that it was was different from our other trips in that um, we were involved with an organization called Warm Showers, which is like couch surfing for cycle tours.
2: Yeah, for so of
1: it's the the same format as couch surfing. The only stipulation is that um it's for cycle tours. So mm-hmm. the hosts typically know like what what needs you have as a bicycle rider and uh that typically just means that, you know, you've got like a shower and a really big pasta meal waiting for you. Um if they're able to provide dinner. Uh so We did warm showers and couch surfing, um, and also uh, a lot of times churches and community centers uh, are able to provide a place to sleep for the night. So like in Texas, where we didn't have a whole lot of camping options that weren't just like big RV complexes, uh, we would call a church the morning of or the day before and say, hey, you know, we have uh, four cyclists coming through, and we would love if you could, you know, just let us crash on your floor. For a night. Um, and a lot of times people would open their doors for us that way. and So it was a really cool opportunity uh, between warm showers and couch surfing and then also getting involved with community centers and churches to meet people who live there and to get their stories and to talk with them about our trip. So awesome. when we could um, and did have the opportunity to stay indoors and get to meet people, we tried to take that. Okay. Uh, but when we got up north of Seattle, it basically became all camping. Uh, which was just a really awesome and totally different experience. Um, But with Keys to Freeze, one of our goals was to talk with as many people as we could about their area and their environment, and then also rep the national parks as well. So it was really important to us to get to talk to people and get their stories.
0: Yeah, and you ended up uh, writing, and I I don't think you've had it published yet, but you ended up writing a manuscript based on the whole experience. So what's that about?
1: Yeah, Uh, so... The book uh, right now is just called Keys to 3, and it is um, it's about our trip, but it's a lot of uh, discussing the touring lifestyle and kind of the emotional work that comes from being on a bike, uh, not only with group dynamics and learning how to be, be a team together, but also um, having the opportunity and the time and space to turn inwards and to really do some self-work, um, I know that the trip for me was a huge uh, positive experience for for getting to um, kind of explore some issues that I faced earlier in life, and um, it it just totally changed the way that I view myself and I view the world around me. And uh, so that was kind of reflection on that uh, with a whole lot of um, funny. Uh, <laughs> and that it thrown in from our trip as well. So that's that's the book. Right now I'm in the process of reaching out to agents um, to hopefully get picked up and we'll see what happens. Uh, I've been told that it's a really tough market for memoir writers, but mm-hmm. I've got my fingers crossed. And um, if it doesn't look like anything's going to materialize this year, then I'll go through the process of hiring a copy editor and self-publishing um, in 2017. It's a cool idea, though. You hear a lot about, you
2: know, meditation retreats and all sorts of stuff, right? Yeah. But definitely that, yeah. you know, especially once, like you say, you get out and you're camping for a few days and, you know, you maybe don't talk to the people you're with for the whole, you know, eight hours <laughs> or whatever, you know, you just ride apart or whatever. Right. Like, you know, that definitely could be, you know, it's so rhythmic cycling, you know, right. and just staring at, you know, the same horizon for hours. Like you would yeah. you Could definitely like there's a certain point where there's just you, right? And, um, totally. Yeah, cool.
0: Yeah. I think yeah, uh, it's really cool. I think what's oh, super. No, it's okay. Uh, sorry I think what's super interesting about that and then the greater Patagonia is in both circumstances you, you've you had these crews assembled for it so I guess how do you how right. do you pick the the crew for an adventure because I think so many people struggle with that and you're thinking up, like
2: crew as just like your, the people you're... you're going with because like you don't have yeah. you don't have support on this
0: yeah not like a support yeah. crew right. I mean like the, the crew of people that you're doing it with because I mean yeah. I know that's got to be super hard just finding people that are going to be reasonably similar ability wise or at least like right. aren't gonna get emotional about not being the same ability so yeah, yeah. how did you pick um, that team
1: so yeah so with uh keys to freeze it was it just came together really organically um my best friend from college brady lawrence and i came up with the trip together and then um my best friend from uh, previous bike who i did on bike and build um I invited him along before Keys to Freeze was actually a thing. I was just joking with Tyler about it. And he was like, oh, yeah, totally, I'm in. So nice. uh it was me, Brady, and Tyler, and then Brady's partner, Rachel, uh, came. And then we actually had two other people join on from uh, Key West to San Francisco. And then um, we had different goals halfway through the trip. And so they left, and we continued on as a group of four. Uh, so we've experienced kind of the – uh group differences and trying to work through uh communication issues together. Mm-hmm. And so with Greater Patagonia coming up, um, you know, I really had my fingers crossed that the whole keys to freeze team would be able to go back for a, a second lap, but um it just didn't work out because of life. uh, place, yeah. you know, everybody's in different places of life. And so with this time, um, I invited my partner Kierney and um then we created the website and reached out to some of our friends, letting them know that you know this was this was happening, and uh, kind of had a mock application process where we just you know said that, you know if you're interested in doing this trip, send us your adventure resume, um, and we'll do a Skype interview. And so that's kind of how we picked everybody else. Um, and it was pretty clear that Tyler and Michael were gonna be great fits for our group what's nice. the
2: website address um, just while you're mentioning that the web address
1: say that one more time
2: what's your website for your journey
1: oh yeah it's it's greaterpatagonia.com awesome that's easy yeah uh, yeah definitely so
0: with the with the communication what are some of the i guess keys for great communication because i know it's probably a fine line between like over communicating and like under communicating right.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's it's basically the, the way that I see it. Um, I, I think that if it's something that you find is serious and needs to be addressed, that's better to address it sooner rather than later uh, and not let it fester. And that if it's something that is important to you um, and you want it to be communicated to the group, then it needs to be communicated uh, in a respecting and loving manner, um, and then also, if, if you're struggling to understand another group member's reaction uh, or the way that they're acting, then it's really useful and beneficial to put yourself in their shoes and just to think about their experience that they're having. Because even though um, you're experiencing the same events, uh, the the way that you absorb it could be totally different than your your teammates. so um, just trying to suss out what what's going on emotionally um, is super super important. I think for uh, uh, an effective and efficient communication system.
0: For sure. Um,
1: yeah, but it's not it's not always easy, and a lot of times, you know, the stress of the environment can really affect communication. Um, and I think that one of Our biggest gifts on Keys to Freeze was being able to turn a a really tough day into a a lot of fun just by joking and laughing our way through it. So I really hope that with this this greater Patagonia group that we'll be able to do the same thing. Um,
0: Yeah. I think it might even help, I mean, just having the idea in your head that you were going to write a book about the experience, I find when you know you're going to write about it, that tends to make crappy experiences much better, because you can be like, okay, (laughs) well, at least this is going to make an amazing story.
1: <laughs> totally. It's just fodder. It's exactly.
0: So. And uh yeah. so we uh last week we talked to Leslie Timms and she was saying especially when traveling with her partner it's you know sometimes it gets really hard because it's like is it about the actual thing that's happening or is it about the relationship or what is it? And she was saying right what she tends to do is just try to imagine like how she would respond to her partner if he was just like a client or just like a friend and that helped her a lot just like backing off of like the pre-existing relationship so
1: yeah de-emotionalizing it I think that's super important exactly Uh, that's something that Kieran and I are going to work on
0: yeah well we we always because we adventure a lot together too and you know we always kind of joke with like the it's not about the nail and it's just one of those things where it's like okay it's we're probably just upset because like one of us is really like, hungry or tired. It's not about right. like the other person's like deep emotional like distrust of humanity or something like you know, way more philosophical. It's probably a much more yeah. basic thing. But
1: totally. I put the disclaimer on when I get angry that it's eighty five percent of the time I'm just super hangry totally I have, to, I have to get food in me to be a yeah reasonable individual
0: yeah we tend to keep like emergency rations for me sort of hidden all over the place otherwise it's... yeah
1: <laughs> just stuck in the sofa cushions
0: yeah it just gets rough otherwise <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like just have a snack cool. oh okay
2: um so, so switching gears sort of here i just want to go in a bit more on some of the the training movement stuff you've done so I have yeah, totally. two, two questions, I think. One, going back to the yoga, and you said you had some running injuries. What were they um, in particular? And if you uh-huh. have any insight into like what yoga movements were maybe helpful. Um, but sure. just what, what injuries did you have that you found
1: yoga helped? Um, so I had a partial hip flexor tear, and then a, um, I had Achilles tendon issues right. uh, when I was in high school. And for both of those, doing, um, a a sequence of dynamic flow yoga, uh, I call it power vinyasa was super beneficial for me. And then also backing off from running during that time period, um, really helped. So I think with the, the tendon issues, it was just mostly, I needed to quit running for a little while and then to do some rehab through strength and flexibility um, and that, that's been kind of the last of my running injuries. Um, I think a big part of that has been in <laughs> having new and exciting sport interests, uh, with getting into, um, with getting more serious about yoga and then really getting into the idea of, um, being strong from calisthenic exercises. Um, I think that just, improving my core was one of the best things that I've ever done for my training and um, experience as an athlete. So um,
2: so in your flow I would assume you got just your standard your downward dog and your lunge poses like all the warrior stuff, right? Like pretty Yeah. Standard. So, uh, so that's uh, going to go off. For
1: me hope. personally, my most beneficial um, time during yoga is a standing flow sequence where I do a series of Sun salutations A, which is your standard um, uh, sun salute, and then doing sun salutation B, which is where you rotate in warrior one sequence, right. um, and then from there doing uh, warrior two uh, standing series and then triangle standing series. And that typically takes about 30 minutes. Um, so if I can fit that in in a day, that's a good day. And then if I want to really dig deep into a yoga uh, practice, then I'll incorporate the seating series, which I think is more beneficial for flexibility um, and is is really great for recovery after races or or long rides.
0: Yeah. I think what you said about running and just knowing sort of that you needed to back off it is something that so many people overlook in terms of like injury prevention and recovery. It's sort of amazing how many people just like keep slamming into a wall and just keep doing it over and over and wonder why it doesn't actually get better. I mean, you're obviously yeah. back to running and doing fine now. So,
1: yeah, totally. I think one of my breakthrough moments was when I stopped doing workouts twice a week, um, like doing uh, running workouts. Mm-hmm. I went from being a very competitive, short distance. Um, short and distance runner in the mile and 5k to enjoying longer and longer races and by doing that I just would focus on running and not trying to hit certain splits or times or um, tempos and just being outside and so uh, from there I transitioned into trail running and having that lower impact sport has just totally changed my relationship with running um, and I love it so much now.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh and you talked about calisthenics. I mean, what, what Okay, mm-hmm. This is going to sound really beginnerish. What exactly are calisthenics? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um so I, I I don't have a uh exact definition um for I think I, I don't I have my own version of calisthenics that I kind of developed with a friend in college where uh we would go to the gym and do about an hour of just bodyweight exercises, um, and build off of that from week to week. And it's just a ton of, um, high reps with very little rest in between sets. Um, and it, the, the, <laughs> the training program that I developed was, uh, Siri, like alternating between like muscle groups. So you would go and you would do 20 dips and then you would do 10 pull-ups and then you do 20 dips and 10 pull-ups and you do four sets of those two exercises or four mm-hmm. reps of those two exercises back to back and that and then you would cycle into like push-ups and um, bicep curls or something and or push-ups and Australian push-ups which are similar but different and do high intensity reps and then you would kind of break up. The break up the workout with um, 15 minutes of core and then the second half of the workout you would do legs where you do squats and lunges together or squat thrust hops and um, I call them windmills. Uh, And from there we were able to really establish like where our base calisthenics are and then build off of that by introducing more weight or more reps or um, more sets and doing like an hour of calisthenics and then an hour of yoga and then an hour of running. Um, <laughs> I didn't go to class very much <laughs> my senior year of college. was <laughs> uh, I was in great, great shape and I've kind of kept that with me since um, leaving school. So
2: pulling is usually the hard thing. So your pull-ups and your rows and stuff. So basically, it sounds like a lot of your pulling was coming from, you know, a, a pull-up. Um, was there any other type of pulling motion or is there other types that you might try and include like as far as rows and stuff like would you use a dumbbell if you had uh, access to it? Yeah
1: definitely definitely would still use um, free weights very rarely do we pick up a bar Um, and it it, I think that there's probably about 30 exercises that we rotated through right Um, and it just kind of depended on what we wanted to do that day it wasn't so much like a sure like a set thing yeah, um
2: that makes sense so
1: yeah but there there's definitely weights involved uh, but i'd say that two-thirds of all the exercises you can do in your home um mm-hmm. and for us it was as much of a, a cardio workout as it was a uh, body sure uh, or like a weight lifting session
0: i like that and then I was thinking you you've mentioned core a bunch. So if you were a total <laughs> total beginner, non athlete, is core where you would yeah. sort of start to get like capable of doing everything else? It seems like it's it's very important for you.
1: Yeah, um, I I really believe in balancing core with yoga uh, with some sort of cardio, um, whether that's walking and jogging or. Uh, getting on a stationary bike or getting in a pool and doing laps. Um, I think that it's super important to balance the cardio with the, the core, with the, the flexibility and the yoga. Um, but for core specifically, I love doing plank, and I love doing um, variations on abs that get your upper abs, your lower abs, and then your obliques. Um, so all four quadrants. And... In addition to doing, you know, the front side of your body, it's really important to to focus on your back muscles. So doing, um, I call them butt raises. is just where you're in bridge pose and you're lowering your seat bones down to the ground and lifting them back up again, and really focusing on engaging your low back as your seat rises up to the ceiling.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and what that does is it helps balance out your core muscles because if you if your core is really strong but your back's really weak then you're at risk for um, hip injuries. So that's how I actually had the tear in my hip flexors is because my abs are so tight that um, it was pulling at my hip muscles and my back wasn't strong enough to support that. So it's really important to balance out the the front of your abs with your back.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I see here, do you still play any frisbee or is – I see that's in sort of yeah. the notes we have here. So do you bring that on the road? Like, is that part of how you guys might, you know, chill out or something in the evening when you're on a hike or a bike I tour? I hope so,
1: man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had we had Frisbee with us. Uh, I love to play ultimate. Um, I love to just, you know, huck the disc, man. It's a, it's a good time. I'm not sure if it'll make it on to Patagonia or not. Um, definitely going to have a couple of hacky sacks. Uh, hacky sacks are awesome and a really good way to, um, you know, work out some different muscles of your legs, uh, in your core too, if you're getting into it. Um, but I, I think that being able to do sports that require you to have, um, core and flexibility and cardio like Frisbee are just a really awesome,
2: awesome activity to do. Yeah, and I think that's that sort of frisbee, especially, you know, you're getting their throwing in there, and you're getting sort of moving in all Mm -hmm. planes, and some socializing, uh, you know, teamwork type stuff, so I think that's a lot of times people are missing that, you know, and that's, you know, what we're looking at here with this podcast is, you know, all the different elements of movement, all the different elements of adventure, or like, you know, whatever you want to call it, life, Um, and I think that's definitely like a lot of this stuff is really solo, especially anyone with an endurance background, so it's always interesting right. when we see people who are doing, you know, group tours or, you know, really love team sports or, or whatever, right? Because usually people are either really right. into your, like, hockey, baseball, team sports type stuff or they're endurance athletes, right? So finding, yeah. finding what's their entry points into the other world, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, and I, I I can't recommend playing, playing Frisbee enough. And if you've never thrown a Frisbee before, don't let that intimidate you because it is – you know, it's a steep learning curve, but once you get there, it's, like, totally opens up your world, so mm-hmm. go out there and have to be for an hour, yeah. 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 yeah,
0: and it feels like something you can do and suck at and not really feel bad about it because you're still just, yeah. like, playing in a field, right? Like, it's, it's yeah. not totally. really that yeah, embarrassing. Bring the dog. Let
1: the dog bring the Frisbee back to you. See? We need
0: a dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's going to be so mad now. Like now we have another reason pro dog category yeah Yeah. all right so my my last question is just if you if someone came up to you and is like man i want to get started in this long distance touring thing whether it's biking or Mm -hmm. hiking what's what are a couple pieces of advice you'd give them before they just like get on their bike or like put on their backpack and just go
1: yeah um well i i think that a big part of wanting to get into Um, the the lifestyle of touring is you know, making it happen (laughs) Mm I know that sounds like really simple but I think that a lot of people get kind of caught up in the the gear and the details and um, I really believe that the best way to get started is to pick something small and to set a, a goal and to recruit one or two other people who are interested in it and just to go out and experience it. Um, and I, I think that from, a um, a physical side of it, that it's important to, to just be confident in your, um, physical abilities. So if you're a, a new backpacker and you have a, uh, a 22 mile loop that you want to do through the Windville Gorge in North Carolina, then giving yourself three or four days to do that, knowing that you're going to carry, um, 40 pounds of weight on your back and understanding that at times it's going to be really tough, um, is, is really important just to having realistic expectations for what you can, uh, do just starting out. I know that for me with backpacking, uh, I had a friend who wanted to go on the trip and we decided to do, um, a backpacking trip, and it was like an awesome experience because it was super gentle and it was a great introduction for me. Um, and with cycle touring, um, was a little bit different because I just decided that I wanted to bike from North Carolina to Philadelphia before doing bike and build. Um, and that's I tried to do that 500 miles in five days after Oof. never doing a hundred mile ride before. Um, <laughs> and that was a, t- <laughs> that was a totally tough experience, but I learned a ton from doing it. Um, and think that that made me mentally a better writer. Um, so maybe I just contradicted myself right there, but I think that the biggest thing is just like saying, you know, if you know, you want to do something, then just say like, yeah, I'm going to do it and then make it happen. Um, so setting realistic goals and expectations for yourself is the best way to get started. Yeah. Um and no, then reaching out to your support system saying, Hey, I want to go backpacking. I don't know anything about backpacking. Is there anybody who wants to come with me? He knows more than I do. Um so that, that helps a ton.
0: Yeah. No, I really like that. I think a lot of people get really hung up with this idea of like it needs to be a sixty day trip or it needs to be this long to make it count, but there's nothing wrong yeah. with starting you know, starting with the two day trip and seeing how that goes and what you need and right. kind of figuring it out from there. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, very uh, cool. I definitely
1: agree.
0: All right, I think uh, I think that's about it, and it's we're about at the fifty-minute mark, which is our usual uh, cool. usual time. So thank you so much for chatting. It was awesome to uh, yeah. to get to know you and finally connect. Yay! <laughs> yeah.
1: Thanks, Molly. Thanks, Peter.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete podcast. We hope Reese has inspired you to start planning your own adventure, however long or short that may be. Uh, In the meantime, you can check out all of the show notes for this podcast over at consummateathlete.com. And of course, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for new guests we can have, uh, feel free to tweet at us at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford. Thanks so much and talk to you soon.